My name is Sean Thomas, and I'm the author of Be More Today, a 40-day guide to a better version of you. As doctor of physical therapy, I've seen thousands of people do great things. They came to me with ailments, physical ailments, pain, issues, and they got through them, all because they decided in their mind they were going to do it. So I wrote a book about it. Your thoughts can make you great, or they can make you crumble. Those thoughts actually control everything in your life. I have three things I want you to do. Starts. Things I want you to start doing in your life that you said you wanted to do at some point in time. You said them. Stops. Things I want you to stop doing in your life, which I know you also want to stop. And three goals for your lives. And I take you through a 40-day guide to make sure you take those thoughts for those three things into reality. Now, I put some workouts in there too. Workouts to keep you always on the move because you got to keep moving. you got to stay focused. So, 40 days. Thoughts, workouts, you. And all I want you to do is trust the process and just be persistent. Visit BeMoreTodayBook.com. That's right, BeMoreTodayBook.com. And I guarantee you, if you just trust the process and be persistent, you too can be the best version of you. What's going on, folks? It's your boy again, Dr. Sean Thomas, back in the building. Episode 85 of the Be More Today show. We are back. We are back. We are back in the building. And folks, our last episode for 2021 is here. This is our season finale. We've done 85 episodes this year, and we have done so many great things. Again, 49 countries. Be More Today show is big. It's growing. It's everywhere. And we thank you all for your support from the beginning to the uh, time that we are right now in season two of this show. We've been doing great things for this movement. Again, Be More Today is on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can join us on our Facebook group. Uh, we're talking about health and fitness all the time, wellness tips every single week. And our Strava group is on and popping as always. So if you are a runner, a biker, a swimmer, whatever you are, join our group on Strava, be a part of the movement. And of course, our website, BeMoreToday.com has my book, which is on Amazon, and our podcast information, and all things Be More Today related. Our swag store is open with some great stuff for the winter season. So get out there and subscribe to us on YouTube as well uh, for our workouts. And for all things Be More Today related, continue to follow us as we go into the next year, 2022. So uh, this has been a great journey for us. And as always, we do something in New Year's, January 1st of this year. We're doing something called BMT Project 40. Um, I did a lot of research this year on various things related to 40. Of course, my book is, is a 40-day challenge, but uh, studies have shown that people who do any kind of walking or any kind of activity for at least 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes, um, can reduce so many things when it comes to instances of cancer and other health-related uh, issues. So we decided that this year we do something different, not just a 5K challenge, but a 40-day challenge, 40 minutes of exercise or any activity for 40 days. Starting January 1st. So if you are a runner, jogger, walker, biker, swimmer, whatever you are, CrossFit, right? You have 40 days to do 40 different activities for 40 days. And we're guaranteeing or assuring that that should make you feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, and all levels. So if you do want to join us for that, please visit our site, Be More Today, and you'll find information about the BMT Project 40 starting January 1st. My quote for today is simple as always. The last one for this year. While you don't control the outcome, you do control the effort. Uh, this has been a year where we've seen a lot of people uh, be in situations that they didn't think they're going to be in, right? Um, 
whether it was sickness, whether it was being laid off from jobs, whether there were issues that were happening in the community, whatever the case may be, they were in situations where things uh, were not exactly how they thought they were going to be. But in all those things, you can't control the effort, right? You can control how much effort you put into changing your situation, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a work-related issue, a school-related issue, our effort can dictate our, our outcome. So as we go into this next year, I implore you to go out there and just be a little more, uh, put a little more effort into what you're trying to do. Um, don't just focus on what the outcomes may or may not be because you can't control those things. But if you really put some effort into what you're doing, uh, whether it's trying to change your community, whether it's trying to go out there and start your book or to finish your book or to get through grad school or to you know, pay off some of those loans or just to be healthier in general, right? Watching your, 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 your meal prep and your food preparation, your exercise and your fitness stuff, drinking more water, getting more sleep, all those things you actually can control, but you got to put a little more effort into it. And if you've already seen that you haven't gotten to a place because you have put in some effort, but it hasn't been enough, you got to ante up. You got to be a little more as we always talk about. So that's my charge for you going into this next season. And um, as we start our challenge for January, I hope you will join us for that. And my guest on the show for today, folks, is a man who is a game changer. Um, he is the epitome of putting in that work, to putting in that effort and showing and seeing outcomes in his own life and also in his community. And his name is Mitchell Silver. Now, uh, when Mel de Blasio named Mitchell as NYC's Parks Commissioner, he calls him a visionary. The mayor went on to say he has a passion for fairness and equality. He understands that we have to ensure that parks and open spaces are available in every community and are well-maintained in every neighborhood in this city. At New York City Parks, Mitchell streamlined the capital process by six months, allowing the public to enjoy renovated parks sooner. He introduced a new public realm strategy called Parks Without Borders, launched a capital project tracking um, system and initiated a framework for an equitable future to improve the park system that included a $318 million campaign to transform 67 of the city's most neglected parks. The 50 million Parks Without Borders program earned national and international recognition for its innovative approach to urban design and helped make parks safer and more accessible. Both the Community Parks Initiative and the Parks Without Borders is being replicated in the United States and abroad. Folks, he is not just a man who does so many things for the community, but he's also a fitness buff and just completed his fourth marathon. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included, please welcome to the stage my final guest for 2021, Mitchell Silver. Mr. Silver, what is going on? Well, uh, first, uh, thank you for that very, very warm uh, introduction. I'm sure we'll get into it in our conversation, but I'm just so excited to be here. As Parks Commissioner, I used to tell people we're not just a Department of Parks and Recreation, but a Department of Fun, Health, and Happiness. And so uh, while I'm not Commissioner anymore, I've moved on since my term ended, uh, but I continue uh, that work, even though I'm not headed at the department. I advocate fun, health, and happiness uh, as much as I can through social media, through writing, through speaking. Uh, so I've now entered the next chapter of my career, but I'm feeling good. Thanksgiving is upon us, holiday season. So I'm feeling good and I'm excited and I feel healthy. That's what's important. I feel very, very healthy. That's incredible and amazing. And congrats on your tenure. I've done so much for our city. We appreciate you. And, you know, I did follow you. I do follow you on social media. And so you just completed your, uh, your fourth marathon. Congrats on finishing the 50th anniversary of the NYC Marathon. How do you feel now that the race is all over? 
I feel amazing. Uh, so you, you may not know, I also ran Chicago in October. It was not a great race, but New York, the 50th marathon was the best marathon experience I've ever had. Uh, it was hot in Chicago. Uh, I did not have a race strategy, struggled, hit a wall, cramped up. But then I reached out to my partner, my running partner, April Cargill. Uh, we go back to college, we're running partners. So I reached out to her coach, Coach Kai, analyzed my running, came up with a race strategy, never had a race strategy before. So I have to thank Coach Kai, came up with a perfect system, went out there. It was a nice, easy, relaxed run. April and I ran with two first-time marathoners. So they said, we're going to stick with the veterans and got through it. The crowds were amazing. The weather was perfect. And his strategy, which, which I don't know, won't get into the detail, but to go slow, conserve her energy. And when I was done, you know, I'm approaching Fifth Avenue and I'm like, I got all this energy. Flew up Fifth Avenue, finished on a fast pace. Crowds were amazing. Saw friends out there, a lot of people screaming, commission to come back. You know, but it was it was a, a saw sort of family, saw sort of friends, saw sort of my running crew uh, mates. Uh, it was an amazing experience, and so I was glad I could be there for the fiftieth. And no wall, no cramps, no pain. It was amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, I I've run at MSC a couple of times, and people have always said you gotta go all slow because Fourth Avenue is gonna kill you. And for years, I just messed up, did the same thing, just cruising, 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 hit a wall every single time. So that strategy that they told you is the right one to do. So well done on that. Well done on that. And yeah, I, I know you run four marathons. I know you did Chicago this year, but congrats on that. Um, Who would you run with in terms of a team this year? Do you, do you have a team that you ran with? Harlem, yeah, I run with Harlem Run. I mean, I, I was when I was commissioned, I went out to all the crews to make sure that I just show them some love. I, I don't want to name one because they're going to feel bad if I leave someone out. But I run with Harlem Run, even though I'm from Brooklyn. Uh really fell in love with Paul and Ron. I've been running with them now since 2017. So that was represented on my shirt. So that is my run crew. But like I said, uh, I reach out to all the running crews. My favorite run of the year, uh, Willpower has the last 10. All the crews come out. I flew up to New York for that because I wasn't going to miss it. So I call it a homecoming because you get to see all the different running crews. So much love, crew love. And then we run the last 10 and have a great time at the finish line in Central Park. Uh, so it's Harlem Run, and uh, I even run it down here uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And they're like, I actually run a lot of different crew shirts, but Harlem Run is, is my crew. That's great. Yeah, shout out to Harlem Run. Um, I actually, I missed the final 10 because uh, my running group's part in Sundays ran that on the next day, the Sunday. And uh, But I usually run with teamwork every now and then as well, so I know they were out there in droves. Um, well, the two people that we ran with, uh, the new folks, they were with Teamwork. So Thomas Moore was one of them. I think the other guy's name was Antonelli. So those were the two new folks we ran with in the marathon. And, you know, they struggled a bit at 18, but uh, it was nice. You had two home run, two Teamwork, and the crowds were just screaming out the name. Yeah. Teamwork, Teamwork. They didn't even know the, the crew, and they had the line down. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. And, and, you know, NYC, especially for this year, was just so amazing coming out of COVID-19 and people just being inspired and excited to cheer for people in New York City. I mean, the, like you said, the energy was electric. And I, you know, I really think we needed that, especially during this time uh, in our history, in our world, in our country. Um, and you know, when I look at you, it's just amazing to see that a lot of people do things in terms of their jobs that don't always correlate to what they're doing in their actual personal lives. But um, you're someone who really practices what they preach. You know, you're, you're, 
your your practice for talking about fitness and giving access to parks has been not just shown in terms of your community, but you provide spaces for them, but for you as well to go out there and be active um, in your in your life and your career. Um, have you always been an active person when it comes to exercise and fitness? I have. I mean, it's been off and on. Uh, I started running track in the seventh grade, ran in high school, ran in college. And then after college, I would say it was kind of hit or miss. Uh, the real turning point was uh, in 2008. Uh, my brother tragically passed away and um, I, I, I struggled to get over his death. He was a year older than me. He was 49 at the time. And after going to therapy, you know, they wanted to give me medication and I said no. And then I realized that uh, he was a runner, I was a runner. And so I started running and it really connected me with his spirit. And, and that got me back into running. Uh, it was the only thing that eased depression because when I ran, all the memories of us running together since he was older and bigger than me and my goal was to beat him because I was very competitive, it kept me going. Then I stopped and then I came back to New York and um, because I was commissioner, uh, had drivers, I, I just wasn't eating properly, I wasn't exercising. I went to my doctor and uh, he said, can I be honest with you? And I said, sure. He said, uh, I'm concerned about you. Uh, everything I'm seeing, uh, I just ran all the tests that uh, you may not be around here in a couple of years if you don't change your lifestyle today. And so to me, that was a wake up call. And I started walking then running. Uh, and I realized, wait a minute, I'm back in New York. My brother and I ran Prospect Park. We ran Brooklyn streets and I started picking up running again. And eventually, uh, my best friend April connected me with Harlem Run, and that's kind of the story. So the answer is yes. I mean, generally, I've been fit most of my life, but the last since 2016, uh, it's gone through the roof. It's nutrition. Uh, it's not just physical health. It's making sure self-care, mental health. Uh, and now I'm addicted. I just turned 61 and still cannot believe I can run a marathon effortlessly. You know the word I'm trying to use. Uh, and uh, for me, it's just a blessing. And now to share that with others. When I ran my first marathon, my staff and I came up with a hashtag, you know, I run the parks. They wanted to document my running journey back in 2018 to show even at the age of 58, you can do this. And so I documented that journey and exposed people to the amazing parks in New York City where you can run, where you can walk, the places people didn't know about, the nutrition, the commitment to get up early, but then a community of the running community to show how connected they are and how they support you and they're by your side. So uh, the answer is yes, I've been relatively active in my life, most of my life, but the last five years have really gone to another level. Incredible, incredible. You know, my, my mom ran her second marathon this year with us. She, she's uh, in the same age bracket as you are. And, um, you know, it's funny because she always was someone who was like, yeah, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. But once you actually do do that thing, you recognize that, you know, I can do this. And when you see people who are in your same age bracket doing that thing, you recognize, wow, if he's doing that, or if she's doing that, then I can do that too. So I know you've probably inspired many, many, many people with the documentary they had on you and with just your lifestyle and your training out there, putting yourself out there and showcasing that age is just a number. You know, there are no limits to what you really can do. And a lot of it is a mindset. When you change that mindset and go out there, then you really accomplish anything. And you have clearly done that. I'm sure you've inspired others to do the same. I do want to underscore, particularly for COVID, because I uh, was still out there running maybe once a week or twice a week just to make sure my mental health uh, was in good shape. 
Uh, but I do want to let people know our parks are not just for physical health, but they're for mental health. And during COVID, these really became our sanctuaries of sanity. And I really want to encourage people. I know it was scary out there, but go for a walk. Study after study will tell you just being in green space for 10 minutes reduces stress and anxiety. And that was a tough time compounded with the civil and social unrest. So I really encourage people that, you know, in New York City, it's our front yard, it's our backyard, it's where you connect. But now parks are becoming part of our healthcare system. And that became more apparent during COVID. So yes, I want to encourage people, lead by example, uh, to let them know, just go out for a walk at lunch, if you can find a green space, and it will actually help your mental health. Yeah. You know, it's funny, during COVID-19, you know, when things were locked down, I, I was I was still working, I didn't have a chance to actually be off. But when I did come home, uh, when I did come home, my, my daughter, because school was shut down, went to the parks. And just being in the park, because she, she wasn't in school, she wasn't going anywhere, just being in the park for her was like going to Disney World. It was just like an eye opener to recognizing that, okay, I'm out of these four walls of this house. Um, I can actually be in spaces and play for a little bit, you know, distance from other kids as well, which is very, very safe. But just that became a safe haven for us, literally for months on end. That was our go-to. All right, we're going to the park. Let's go to the park. Let's go to the park. And we appreciated uh, when the parks opened because some of them were closed for a while. But when they did open back up, it was like a breath of fresh air that literally just made our lives so much easier. And, you know, even there, there were even times when we drove around the city um, going to various parks, not just the parks in our area, we live in Bed-Stuy, but the parks that were downtown Brooklyn and even in the city, just to kind of get a different uh, perspective, you know, going down to um, downtown, down to the piers and just being out there and recognizing that, yes, we have so many beautiful things to to look at and be a part of in New York City, even though things are shut down or were shut down for a time, that became a safe haven for many of us, especially those who had children, um, for kids who couldn't go anywhere. Literally, it became a lifesaver. So we were very, very appreciative and continue to be appreciative for all the work that you've done and that the state continues to do to keep our, our communities together. Yeah, and kudos to the Parks Department because you know they were terrified. They were deemed essential workers, had to come to work from the very beginning. And uh, they were concerned because there was a lot of unknowns about COVID-19. I'm so happy that, that we had this global campaign to light up the Empire State Building and Washington Square Arch and other New York City icons green to thank the Parks Department for really keeping our spaces open. And so many New Yorkers like you told us how much they appreciated it. And we know that because it was people's their outdoor office, their gym, their wedding venue, their birthday party venue. I mean, you saw how crowded they were. And people were really saying, I need this for my mental health as well as physical health. So I'm so grateful for the Parks Department, all of them, uh, for making sure our parks stayed open during a very, very difficult time. Absolutely. Now, you see a lot of high praise from a lot of officials, and you were featured in various magazines, multiple shows for the work you've done with New York City. Um, de Blasio called you a visionary. Um, how did you get involved in this work at all? And what drives you to see it or to, to have seen it to to go to his fruition? Well, believe it or not, um, I was inspired in 1964. My parents took me to the New York City, uh, the World's Fair um, in Flushing Meadows, Corona Park. And I saw this model, uh, a life-size, not life-size model, but a model of New York City. It was called a panorama. I didn't know at the time. I could not get that image out of my head. And I knew it stayed with me that I wanted to involve somehow with cities. And so make a long story short, grew up right next to Prospect Park. That's where I was exposed to nature. 
And so as time went on, um, I pursued architecture, my undergraduate degree, and then urban planning. I was fascinated about cities, but also fascinated about the people who live in cities. So that's where my passion initially came from. But then growing up in Brooklyn and then traveling, not every city looked like the Brooklyn I grew up in. And I wanted to be in a profession that helped change place for people for the better. And so throughout my career, I've been driven, driven to really protect the public interest, uh, to look at their public health, safety and welfare, to improve their environment, whether in planning or parks, I was very fascinated by improving the built environment because I knew just based on your zip code, you may not have a healthy lifestyle because you don't have the resources and the services. And I just felt that wasn't fair. And so I was you know, doing a great job here in North Carolina, grew up in Brooklyn. I was head of planning and development. And then New York City called me back. And when I met with the mayor to say that the mission was really to address equity uh, and, um, and safety, uh, I just said I had to come back home. Uh, and so I continue to be driven because to me, uh, when you're appointed, you have a timeline. And so the mayor got reelected. So I had a little over seven years. And I didn't want to waste any of that time because I was on a mission, a mission to make sure every community had a quality public space. And so after the seven years, we completed over 850 capital projects. Mm. Many of those were in underserved communities. Mm. And I can be driven even now as a consultant. Mm. That's incredible. And I read in your bio about two initiatives that you were doing, the Parks Without Borders and Community Parks Initiative. Can you talk a little bit about what those two initiatives are? So um, living in New York City, you kind of take the fences and the barriers for granted. Uh, when I came back, I just noticed what is up with all these fences and gates and walls. And I want to make sure people had more access to public spaces. Uh, and so to me, access became important, not just access, but also in terms of the rules and how we allow people to feel welcome in our public spaces. And so the parts of our borders is really created a more seamless public ground. You have the sidewalk, I call the sidewalk to the outer park. You have the street, to me that's a public space that we give far too much of it to cars. And so Parks of Borders was this way of creating a seamless public realm of blurring those boundaries between park, sidewalk and street and start to break in some of those parks, make them more accessible, have new openings, take down or lower the fence. So this became an effort to really make the park safer. When you lower the fence, and create more openings, you actually make the park safer. So on Flatbush Avenue, this was a dream of mine when I was a child running with my brother around a perimeter of Prospect Park, we put two new openings on Flatbush Avenue. That's the result of Parks Without Borders. Seward Park in Lower Manhattan, you know, we lowered the fence and it opened up this plaza where a library is located to make it more accessible and welcoming. We lowered fences, a hundred parks throughout New York City as we were doing a couple of projects, now you can see in the space. And for women and seniors to be able to see around you gives you that sense of safety. And even NYPD appreciate the fact that they can better surveil parks by just driving by because there's fewer fences, there are lower fences, and lowering the fence made the parks more safe, which is counterintuitive. So the Parks Out Board is really the effort to create a seamless public ground. Anytime we do a project, we redo the sidewalk as well. You go out to um, Travers Park in Queens. Uh, we took down this 15-foot fence. 
We brought the park out to the sidewalk. Now there are benches on the sidewalk because parks close. Sean, sidewalks never close. So now we can bring that experience out to the sidewalk. So it has been a very, very successful program. Community Parks Initiative, this one makes me very emotional. We did this analysis and found out that New York City spent $6 billion over 20 years improving parks. Now that's multiple mayors. We wanted to find out in that 20 year time frame how many parks saw little to no investment. 20 years. It turned out there were 215 parks hiding in plain sight with no champion to say, hey, come fix my space. I felt that wasn't fair. To me, equity means fairness. It wasn't fair that certain communities in New York City, over 20 years, that's kindergarten to college, saw no change in their public space. So we were determined to change it. I approached the mayor, and to his credit, he gave me over $300 million to transform 67 of the 215 parks. We've completed 62. I keep saying we, because I'm still, I guess, a New York City Parks alumni. The stories will move you. Two quick examples. Well, I remember I was in Staten Island. This was uh, with Stapleton Playground. We renamed it Maggie Howard uh, Playground. And this black man looked like a football player, about 6'5", strong, heavy. He came to me and he said, "This was a, we have a visioning session where we go out to the community and ask for input. And he said to me, what, what are you doing here? And I says, we're here to have a visioning session to get your input. He looked, he says, no, no, what are you doing here? He said, I lived here all my life and I thought nobody cared. What are you doing here? And that really struck me because it let me know that this was real to some people. He said he could not take his children there. He didn't feel safe. He wasn't proud of the way that space looked. And I knew that this is why I was doing the work that I do to make sure that these families have places to connect and get healthy. There's another example I share very often. This was in Brooklyn, um, and this was your typical asphalt playground. You know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Nothing but stripes on crack asphalt. Mm -hmm. And we converted it, uh, synthetic turf, track, new play equipment, plants, seating, beautiful. And this little boy Hispanic, this was opening day, refused to come into that public space. Wouldn't go in. And it's like, this is opening day. This is like party time. One of my staff members went up to him and asked him, why won't you come into the park? He said, he didn't know how much it cost. It looked that nice. He thought he had to pay to go into that park. Now, I know for sure that that boy and every child in that neighborhood, their lives are going to change to know they have a world-class quality park to play in. That's the impact of public space. That is the impact investing in communities that have been neglected for generations. We talk about trauma and anxiety from the last two years of COVID. What about generational trauma? Generation after generation, dealing with the isolation and the pain of poverty and being underserved. These parks represent an opportunity to heal, to connect and to get healthy. And so am I driven? Absolutely, for all those reasons. And so, like I said, we completed 62. Uh, we did 850 in total. And I know that lives will change. They'll get healthier. They'll feel better in terms of self-care. They will connect and they will feel a sense of fairness that I got a nice park too. I don't have to travel three or four stops on the subway to go to a quality public space. 
That's powerful in so many ways. You know, there's so many times when even in some areas in Brooklyn and some of the other urban areas, you know, many families don't go to parks for fear of shootings, for fear of just safety. And we've been in that situation as well. There have been some parks we say, you know what, we can't go to that park because we heard last week this this went down, that went down. Um, we saw that this happened or on the news in the area. So the fact that you're able to change those those environments for the long haul, uh, and clearly this, this 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 little boy who had the experience seeing this thing and even asking if it was free or not or how much it, how much it cost, that to me is mind-boggling. But it lets you know, like you said, the disparities that people have to go through, the the inequalities when it comes to our access to these things, and how something as small as just making a park better, just changing how it looks, changing its accessibility, changing the, the safety of it, those small things, although they do cost money, clearly, but in the lives of this kid and, and that father and that community can just change the entire spectrum and trajectory of, of how someone maybe gets involved in more fitness or gets in involved past, in more people, things in their lives. In the past, people would design parks to be quote-unquote fail-proof and to me, right. those designs. To me, if you respect the community with quality material, they'll respect you back in return. All the parts we renovated, we're seeing no vandalism. We're yes. not seeing any vandalism. So this notion that if you have to make it vandal-proof is the best way to protect it or put high fences, to me, sends a wrong message. I don't want to imprison kids in a play space just to have some fun. Let's take our municipal pools. You know, we did an initiative called Cool Pools. And what we did was we went into these pools, many were located next to a, a NYCHA, a public housing, and we revamped them. We painted them, we made them vibrant, put out umbrellas and lounge chairs, and now people called the resort. Giving people dignified public spaces just because they're in underserved communities doesn't mean we have to provide underserved parks. And so it's just offering dignity. And like I said, we now have community members that are now helping to care for these spaces because they're really enjoying and taking ownership of saying thank you. Thank you for respecting us and we're gonna respect you back in return. The era of vandal-proof parks to me is over, mm -hmm. at least in New York City. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're so right. Just like you said, opening up the, the areas, making them more accessible. We have a number of, of females who run an Spartan Sunday running club and you know, we run in Prospect Park sometimes and we've met early, early sometimes. And a lot of them say, you know, I don't feel, I don't feel this is before you guys did the renovations over there a couple of years ago. So we don't really feel safe in the park because it's so dark and, you know, and as a man, you know, I, I think about those things, but not really. You know, I, 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 I'm running all over the place. My mom's always like, why, why are you running so much? And it's so early. Go, go when it's lighter out. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of fearless. And then maybe that's to my detriment, but I'm kind of fearless when I run in the morning, uh, not thinking about all these other things that can happen. And it is different for, you know, children and for other people as well. But just opening up these parks, making these things safer, it has just changed, not just in terms of young people, but in terms of how everyone can really just feel safer in their environment and doing more things and being more active. So we appreciate you and all the work that you've done, not just for NYC, but uh, continuing now back back home as you're doing down there as well. It's it's a game changer for a lot of us. It's a game changer. Thank you. Um, I do have a question now, you know, a, a couple of months ago, um, September, October, and this is not in an impoverished area. I mean, Union Square Park is one of the higher uh, uh, well-class areas in New York City. But there were a couple of statues that were up, um, which we appreciated. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, John Lewis, and they were 
They were featured in Union Square Park. Uh, and within the first 48 hours, um, it was reported that someone had defaced the George Floyd statue. Um, a number of people were outraged about this. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this as someone who has been or was so involved in the NYC Parks Department. What are your thoughts on, on and how that went down or at least what happened at, at Union Square? Well, I have to say across the board, uh, right after Black Lives Matter, we saw a lot of defacing citywide in our monuments and our parks throughout the city. There are certain people that are struggling with a demographic change in this country. And unfortunately, we had a president that ripped a scab, an ugly scab that made hate cool again. And so there are some people that want to poke and provoke. And so this was an issue of a person struggling with the changing demographics of America, the concern that they're losing control and power. And so they're expressing themselves in the worst form of way. They wanted a reaction. They wanted to poke and provoke. Uh, and so to me, uh, the, the movement of where we're going is ultimately going to prevail. So this is just a distraction that could be easily rectified. It is sad, but I encourage people to stay strong and don't get distracted by people who wanna provoke you or poke you. To me, we have to be a lot stronger than that. I believe people of color are extremely resilient. After all the trauma I mentioned earlier, generational trauma we had to go through. So this is only a blip in the screen. There was an exhibit. It was a powerful exhibit. And I would not let someone rob your joy by their small-minded poking, provoking, and distraction. The bottom line is there was an exhibit and many of them felt joy uh, and reflection from going there to observe the statue, one of the national hero, John Lewis, and then others who were tragically uh, killed um, in, a, in a year of, of extreme disturbance. Yeah, yeah, and I, you couldn't have said it better than that. I think it's, 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 it's disturbing to some extent, but like you said, we as people of color are so resilient. Uh, and it's amazing that, like you said, you, you renovated all these parks and there's been no vandalism. Right in areas that are deemed as impoverished and and whatever, there's been no issues. And then in this situation, where things probably should not have gone awry, there have been. And, and I'm sure it wasn't someone in our demographic. I'm sure it was someone that was, like you said, exhibiting their hatred or their response to what's happening in our society. But it's like these times, like you said, that we should just be even more vigilant to make sure that we're we're doing the right thing and and showcasing love as we have over the the, the number of years where we've been persecuted and impressed and pushed. Um, and I, I think even more about, you know, I know you're an urban planner and you've been on the forefront of uh, so many things regarding racial equality, um, infrastructure in the 21st century. And this Rittenhouse trial has been so uh, uh, controversial in, in various ways, right? There've been a number of protests that have been happening around um, various cities. Uh, and I'm, I'm so curious in terms of, of your thoughts about, um, you know, how important racial equality is for us as, as people of color moving now into this new infrastructure, uh, looking at societies changing and getting better. You know, when things like this happen, you know, you're doing so many things to build communities up, but then every now and then something like this tends to, to seep in and it makes it seem like, well, what's the point? Uh, or, or, or how can we be, be better? Or, 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 you know, a number of people responded to Rittenhouse saying, not surprised. You know, how do you 
um, see, I guess, moving forward, since you are a visionary and you've seen so many communities be transformed, you know, what are your thoughts moving into um, the next couple of years as we continue to build up our, our communities, how we can continue to push forward, even in, in perilous times like these? I mean, this is a, a tough one. Uh, I mean, I have a general saying that you have two options when tough times come and has to be bitter or better. Uh, this is one of those moments. It was difficult to watch. I still cannot get out of my mind that he brought a gun to a protest, a gun. So in my mind, what was your motive? I understand in that state you have rights, but why would you bring a loaded weapon to a protest? That to me is the first point that I'm struggling with. Uh, I'll leave the whole issue about gun rights to the side, but to me, there seems to be two sets of justice in our country. And this was yet another example for, American, for Americans to see. Unfortunately, because of our divisive politics, depending on what tribe you're on, you'll have a different perspective. So this is yet just one example of our judicial system how it handles certain Americans and how others don't receive the same level of justice. But again, I keep want my eye to be on the prize. And as I said, you have a choice of being bitter or better. Being bitter starts to eat you up and cause you to do very destructive things to both yourself and to others. But to be better allows you to find a way of finding a better path forward. It is hard, but throughout my career, when that fork in the road came, when that judgment time came to be better and better, I always chose to be better. And as a result, it benefited me personally and it benefited me around. And I learned from these tough lessons. This one's hard to process, but America, again, just witnessed the two judicial systems we have running in this country. If you're a certain color, you get a benefit of the doubt. If you're another color, you don't. And to me, I find that extremely troubling uh, but I'm still very disturbed that this young man brought a loaded weapon to the protest. And you'll hear some say rioters. No, they were protesters. There's a difference between the two of rioters and protesters. And to bring a loaded weapon to me, that was very disturbing. I didn't follow the entire trial, but I found that to me of severe concern. What was the motive? What was the intent of bringing a loaded weapon? If you want to stay protected, stay home so that you're not in a situation where something bad can happen with a loaded assault rifle. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you. And, you know, my wife's a defense attorney, so she's she's somewhere torn on this this um, because that's basically what her entire world is in, in terms of defending. Um, and, you know, she's always talking to me about making sure that the the defense does what they're supposed to do, right? And it didn't seem like they, um, that everything that was out there should have been done the way it should have been done. There were definitely ways that they could have defended and even prosecuted differently in this case. And, um, you know, it, the legal system is, is, is what it is. If you can't prove it a certain way, you can't, without reasonable doubt, prove that this is the way it is, then we have these, these results. And, you know, I, I think that the, the way that we move forward, like you said, uh, is to be bitter or better. And we've seen that we can and have been better as a people for, for many, many years. 
Um, and I think that what you're doing, sir, uh, not just in terms of a global scheme, because you, you've done so many things to inspire communities um, just to be better, but recognizing that, you know, when we have blips in a system like this, that we can push forward. And even though this may have happened in Wisconsin, um, what you're doing here, what, what you've done here in New York, and we'll continue to do it in, in, in Carolina, uh, is something that will be as impactful as, as that moment has been, because you're changing lives for the, the legacy of, of families, for the legacy of communities, for the legacy of people. And I'm just really impressed by you. And that's basically what I hope Be More Today mantra is. It's really showcasing ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And even in the time of trials and tribulations or challenges, um, there are people who do great things and, and showcase great things for the community and for others and for themselves. So as the 85th person on this show, I've had 85 people on this show uh, explain or share what Be More Today or that phrase means to them. You're the last person for season number two, number 85. When you hear the phrase, be more today, what does that phrase mean to you? To be more and not to be less. All of us have amazing potential. And you have no idea what you can accomplish and do. All of us in our head, you know, I, I'll never forget, someone once shared with me, every object you see in your house, in your place of work never existed until someone thought it could be possible. A cup, a speaker, a computer, a phone, those did not exist. And to be more is really pushing yourself to know what is possible. It may be a simple idea, it could be a big outcome. I wanna be more and not less. I'm grateful for every day God has given me. I don't wanna take it for granted. It's another opportunity for me to do something because it will come a day when I will be gone, my legacy will live on, but I want to make sure I take every day as a blessing and do as much as I can to help others while I walk on the face of this planet. Now, even though I'm based in North Carolina, my practice is now global. I plan to share what I do not just here, but in New York, overseas. I plan to go to Australia and Africa next year to continue to do more and to be more. So for me, it's not to be less, it's to be more and use every day to the fullest that God allows you to breathe fresh air. Well said, sir. Well said, well said. You kind of already expound upon what's next for you, but uh, anything else that you want to share about uh, goals you have for 2022 or where where you're moving forward with your with your mission? Well, uh, now that I'm a, a consultant, I'm very grateful for the firm I'm working for, McAdams. I'm an ambassador for the company. I do a lot of public speaking on parks and public space, on diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, but I also help projects in my bio. It said that is my focus that I know upfront. If you're going to hire me, we're going to have a conversation on diversity, equity, inclusion. And by the way, I always tell someone it's not, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion is not what you do. It's who you are. So to me, that has to be part of your essence. Otherwise, it comes off as unauthentic. Uh, but I'll also be writing. Uh, I'll be working on some projects. I want to make sure I get everything signed before I announce what I'll be doing. I'll be teaching, uh, assisting teaching at Harvard uh, starting in the spring. And so uh, I'm just going to be out there doing great work in planning parks, public space with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Uh, so for me, that's what the next chapter is. 
And so I'm in New York on a regular basis, hope to do some work there as well, and just continue to spread my knowledge and mentor young people so that they can learn how to do what I've done in my career. Very, very exciting. Very, very exciting. Uh, awesome. I'm super excited. And I think that the, um, the best way to end this season is with you. I mean, you've inspired us to, to go out there and uh, just be more. And I appreciate your time and, and all your energy and your efforts. And I wish you the best with all your plans and projects for next year and moving forward. Where can people follow you on social media uh, or otherwise? Uh, well, Instagram, it's Mitchell underscore silver, same hash, uh, same uh, on tag on um, a handle on Twitter. So it's Mitchell underscore silver. I'm primarily on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. I may touch once a year, LinkedIn, so, so. So I say Instagram is probably number one. And then Twitter, I also use as well. And awesome. then, uh, so Sean, you and I, I mean, Brooklyn, we got to go for a run next time I come up there. I was just going to ask you, are you, are you, are you still running and are you, you doing yes, anything I'm running next year? Well, I just signed up for the New York half. So training starts January and I put in for London and Berlin. Let's see if I get into the, you know, get picked in the lottery. So that's the plan for 2022. I'm taking a break from New York. Um, that, yeah. that, I love that one, but I want to cheer for folks, both Chicago and New York, but, uh, Let's see if I can get into London and Berlin for 2022. Awesome. Yeah, I'm taking a break from New York, too. I, I did sign up for lottery for uh, Chicago and for London, and we will be also in the half. So I'll definitely see you for the half. All and right. if you're ever in New York, yeah, you give me a little link and we'll meet up and do a little run one of the parks. That'd be fantastic. Absolutely. That'd be fantastic. Mr. Silver, thank you so much for being on this show. I appreciate you. You made episode 85 and the last one for the season one for the books. I wish you all the best for the holiday season. And uh, thank you again. Same to you and your family. And folks, don't forget the quote from today. While you don't control the outcome, you do control the effort. Uh, Mr. Silva said it best. Don't be bitter. Be better. We can be better. We can change uh, our trajectory. We can make things so much better on our own. You put a little more effort into certain things. And you see what he's done, not just in New York, but now globally, changing little things in parks, right? Making more things accessible for others. It can change the trajectory of someone's life. The little efforts you make and any round can change the bigger efforts in the, in the future. And like you said, nothing existed before it existed. If you want to get something done, think about it. Put it out there. Put in the work. Put in the effort. Don't be afraid to go out there and try new stuff. And let's continue to be more together for this year into next year, 2022. Folks, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. As always, you can follow me on Be More Today, bemoretoday.com for my book. Uh, our swag store is open. The podcast everywhere in all 49 countries. And if you want to send me any thoughts or get in contact with Mr. Silver directly, email me at drshawn at bemoretoday.com or send me a message on any of our social media platforms. As I always say, have a good day, have a good night, have a great life and continue to take your steps to greatness to be the best version of you. I will see you next year. Bye.